Hello and welcome to another week of the Launch Sequence podcast, this time week 25. We've been going for a little while. I'm your host, Keenan, and I am here with a good friend, a community member, Witch Space. How are you doing today, buddy? Oh, not too bad. It's a Friday, so that's always a good thing. It is a Friday. It's nice. You guys won't be hearing this on Friday, but we're very happy. Sorry if you're getting this on, I, on Monday morning. It's <laughs> I, I broke the fourth wall again. Sorry. Yeah, it happens. It happens. I do it all the time. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about Star Citizen, uh, mainly server meshing. We got the Q&A earlier this week and some extra information came out about the huge backbone feature to Star Citizen, honestly a big part of the game's success. Uh, we got to learn more details and get an, a follow-up to what we learned at CitizenCon. So I decided that I would like to have my friend Witchspace come in. Uh, he has a lot of background in this type, type of stuff. And I think he would be better at explaining it than I would be. We had a lot of good conversations and so wanted to bring him on to talk a little bit about it. Um, can you tell everybody a little what your background is in this area? Um, yeah, my day job um, when I'm not blowing up spaceships, mostly <laughs> my own, um, is uh, I'm one of the uh, code monkeys back end for Xenomax uh, on their games. Who's obviously doing a lot of a lot of tough work just as tough as cig i imagine and uh, different 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 yes 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 so you've been playing how long have you been playing star citizen for oh boy um i backed in 2012. okay um I was first million or so um but i've not been playing consistently i'm one of those people who pops in maybe once a year okay um, up until about 3 10 3 11 mm -hmm. once persistence came in and things were settling down a bit um and i've been playing on and off semi-regularly since then okay um so and probably more of late because as many other space game enthusiasts i'm playing less of another one Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes the the focus shifts in the industry. There has been a little bit of a shift this year. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I've not given up with things. Um, it's very much just waiting to mm -hmm. see things how things pan out with fixes and other stuff. Right. So we'll see. So, are you? Do you actually? For those of you who don't know, we're talking about Elite Dangerous. Do you still follow it pretty closely? <laughs> um reasonably um i tend to watch a couple of uh streamers in particular okay because i tend to trust their take on how things are going mm -hmm. um the infamous obsidian ant tends to be my touchstone in a lot of that stuff so yeah 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 mm -hmm. i think a lot of us probably watch him fairly regularly did you they were supposed to be launching to consoles in the fall i remember that being kind of a big thing with the whole Odyssey launch, did that end up happening? Do you know anything about that? I think the last I heard, they are on indefinite hold mm. while they fix things on PC. Okay. Um, which personally doesn't shock me because I think they also said that they would be focusing only on the, well, what is now, I guess, the last gen of consoles, mm -hmm. not the next gen of consoles. Um, so getting some of the Odyssey stuff into those boxes is probably going to be quite a challenge. So trying to avoid having to do the work twice mm -hmm. if they're doing a bunch of PC changes makes a lot of sense. Right. Those old consoles, something that we definitely we were talking about in depth before the podcast and we'll get into a little bit later, uh, causing problems for various games throughout the industry. But first, I wanted to go back a little bit to you had mentioned you have background in um in in certain games and you understand this server meshing technology but are these the games that you've always been interested kind of the larger mmo games or do you have other other genres that you like to play um i'm bad i play a bit of everything it's kind of required by the job to just be aware of everything that's going on mm -hmm. and the easiest way is to play a lot of stuff maybe not to any depth but at least to have looked at it um, no, 
multiplayer games have always been my big thing. Um, shooters originally, going right the way back to the original Wolfenstein and Doom. Uh, that really got me into netcode mm -hmm. in a big way. And for a lot of my time, that's what I've spent my time doing is netcode and the server side. Um, I'm not a graphics programmer, you know. Um, I'm there, you know, kept in a dark room and fed under the door, <laughs> just as the server programmers are. But it's a very different world um, and one that really has never interested me particularly. So, yeah, network, back end, trying to control the flow of things. Yeah, the hard stuff. The difficult ah! That's the the boring stuff as far as everyone else is concerned yeah it's not shiny no one sees your work if you're doing it well um everyone complains that it's always broken mm -hmm. um and yeah it's just the... you, you like most developers you generate quite a thick skin you're the the hero that everybody needs so, but nobody wants. Yeah, exactly. The, the... Yeah, that, that, that's the one. Yeah. Well, thank it's you. The, the, the worst thing back in time was it also was the curse of once a single player game got pushed, um, a lot of the people working on the single player component would then go on a nice long holiday. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. But if you were involved on the back end or multiplayer, that's when your chaos. Oh, excuse me. That's when the chaos pretty much began. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> so it's a, a different kind of vibe for the different parts of the company. But now with oh, single players going time. out, basically, you know, you have to fix them all again, right? So that kind of has changed for single player developers, I imagine. Ish. Uh, yeah. There are a lot more multiplayer aware people. There are mm -hmm. a lot more online aware people with live a service going on. But... It takes a while for people to adjust. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the times you'll find cases where designers who haven't had experience with online assume they can do the same things and that we've got some magic dust that will just make it work. Um, and that education process can often be interesting. Yeah, I, um, I imagine. Well, without... Yeah, large part... yeah go on. Oh, no, I was just going to say, as somebody who had to go over the Gen 12 and server meshing talks from CitizenCon multiple times, thank you so much for doing what you do, because <laughs> that's no, no, tough. No, no, no. The, same, the same is true in reverse. Your, uh, your translation of the CitizenCon talks for folks in YouTube was really good. It was a really solid breakdown. So uh, well, I'm I glad think that's it helped. helped people a lot. I, I'm yeah. I'm glad it did because I definitely didn't I wasn't entirely sure. Like I kind <laughs> of I got I get some of it, not all of it, so you know, I'll do it as best I can. But when it comes to like I'm I'm thinking about the professionals in the industry watching it and I'm wondering, do you guys are you guys passing off on this? So it's good to hear that you approve. <laughs> Thank you. Well let's get into let's get into our main talk about server meshing as a whole and kind of we've already started touching on it really, but how it affects the industry let's start with what well, we talked about this concept of entity-based versus object-based and the difference in how games are constructed can you talk a little bit about uh how entities are changing the game and star citizen specifically yes um if you go back a little bit in time the one thing you never had enough of was bandwidth um, and some of that came out of the era when a lot of people were purely on dial-up um, and very slow links. Uh, but even this day and age, you know, a lot of people do not have the best internet connections. Yeah, people around metro areas, great, but there are an awful lot of people out in the back of beyond whose internet is still flaky. They're announcing things via their mobile phone or similar. So to get away from issues or to focus on issues like that, it was not uncommon for us to take, I don't know, if you imagine a human being is made up of, I don't know, let's say a thousand elements to describe a human being, mm -hmm. we would break that down into maybe, I don't know, 
the five or ten that we actually need to send across to someone else. Yeah. To allow it to be synchronized and touched. The trick, the hard thing with that, um, and the quite rigid thing with that, whilst it was great for her performance, it was restricting. You know, if you wanted to, for instance, give someone a bag, uh, you now have to go through and work out, put that in that little sort of block, and then work out how many things they can have in the bag. And you had to change all the pieces of code and net code that touched that person and the bag he was carrying. Right. Um, so everything you wanted to add, especially when it came regarding players, things they were carrying, got really hard. By, the, by comparison, entities are much more generic, especially when it comes to exchanging them across the network, exchanging them with databases and things like that. Um, they are loose collections of attributes. And most of the time, in an ideal world, um, the network and a lot of the places that move that data around doesn't need to know what's in there. And the other big benefit of them, and why it's a graph, not just a list of entities, is there's absolutely no reason why you can't put a whole bunch of entities inside an entity, inside an entity, yeah. inside an entity ad infinitum. Right. And it still just gets treated the same way. So for games like Star Citizen, where there is an awful lot of thing in thing on thing around thing, it works out very nicely. Okay. Um, but it does have its downsides. Um, in the old scheme, it was very, very simple because you only had a very limited amount of data that was being moved around. Mm-hmm to put in checks and balances and validation rules and back, making sure everything is consistent. Back, you mean in, in old school, like other games or older in Star Citizen's lifetime? Older games. Okay. Star Citizen has always very much tried to go with the entity approach. Mm -hmm. uh, part of that is because of the tech they're based on. Um, but also they've tried to go further with it to um, because it fits their paradigm of what they want to do really, really well. And if anything, with 3.15, what you're seeing and part of the reason they were able to get the UI for the inventory up relatively quickly as a, as a stopgap um, is all they're effectively doing is showing you all the entities inside a thing. Basically and that's just... probably already a widget they had around because it's used in their tools. Just so revealing just that info to us. Game. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, the the way that the the entities work, it's it's really it's really easy to think of it as kind of like a web where if you have a backpack on a person, and you had a bunch of stuff in that backpack, the old object based form would draw a line to that backpack and then draw a line from that backpack to everything inside of it. So that's that's not kind even, of the connection. Not even that. Not even that. You probably wouldn't have had a connection. It would actually have been in the person. So anytime you sent around anything with that person, it included their backpack and everything else as well. Okay. So effectively, the backpack was part of the person. It wasn't a separate item. I see. And with the entity-based tracking, it is now its own container, yeah. if you will. Yes. They can, be, they can be put in each other recursively ad infinitum, which is also one of the problems, but. Right, right. So is this something that a lot of other MMOs are doing in the industry now? Is Star Citizen actually unique in this approach? I can only talk on the bits that I've come across, but no, it's not completely unique. Um, a number of newer games are much more going for the entity approach. Um, it's not only a thing within gaming, it's a thing in general that, um, a lot of the online world has been moving to. Um, it makes things easier when it comes to putting things away in databases. You know, the stuff that deals with the database doesn't have to know what's in the bag all the time. It just puts this bag of things. They could be spaceships. It could be spaceships with people or anything else. It just puts them away in the database. Right. Um, 
the so there are the couple there are a few other games that are doing it the bit where star citizen i think is relatively unique is the scale they're trying to do things on and when they start to talk server meshing a number of other games have it could be argued the equivalent of the static meshing in place uh, so for example if you considered Starcism being released with the 50 people in Stanton, mm -hmm. 50 people in Pyro, and the jump points being a loading screen. Right. You could argue that Destiny is already doing that same sort of thing. Okay. Where they're going for something much more complex is being able to then subdivide it and subdivide it very dynamically and to be able to define those static meshes much more generically you know games that are based around you know this is where you will transition from one instance to another have to be designed like that from the ground up right with the long tunnels um, with the long tunnels gameplay elements to hide the seams and everything mm -hmm. else Citizens are trying to do that much much more dynamically and, and that's where the real challenge and the ambition is so and in the Q&A that they just recently released, they did talk about the fact that they would need to work on gameplay mechanics in order to help make this system work a little bit better. In the dynamic sense, can you think of any sort of gameplay mechanics that they might use to, to make sure people aren't going to... They mentioned the example, I think, of cutting off a jump point, but uh, are yeah. there any others that you might imagine? There are a number of similar deals, and part of it, I think we've already seen... Um, it's going to sound crass saying that this is part of the reason for this gameplay loop. But if you think of Ninetales blockades, mm -hmm. if you needed a temporary way to stop an area being used, what better way than to actually blockade quantum? Yeah, perfectly um, in fiction. Yep, exactly. And it gives you time for, okay, someone's going to drive there or fly there, you know, the long way great, we've now got a long chunk of space where we can be pretty sure they're probably not going to get into combat where we can move them to a different shard, a different instance, or whatever. Yeah. So there's a number of tricks like that. Um, the, the thing that people have to understand when they try picturing these dynamic meshes in their heads is with the best will in the world, I don't think we'll ever see a situation where combat can take place over a mesh boundary right and that's because pretty, there are just yeah there are so many edge cases right yeah so it has to be a place that's relatively stable where you can be pretty sure you're going to have time even for someone playing in um australia on an eu or na server to be able to do all the exchange of stuff they need to from so, one instance to the next. So then in that situation, let's take a, a capital ship battle, for instance, something I think a lot of people are imagining in Star Citizen, and say that there are two, three, three capital ships, two Idris and a Javelin, and they're all firing at each other. If... If each one of those ships on the inside is a server because, say, they have 20 people on board, but would all three of those ships then be in a server together still? They would be in one, one larger one? How would that work exactly? If they were actively in combat? Yeah. Almost definitely. If um, I could see situations where the um, if there was no combat going on, the actual carriers themselves could be um, could exist either in a static shard and have purely the interiors existing in dynamic shards. Right, that's what I was wondering. If... Because there's absolutely no reason for any of the interior to be communicated to anyone else as right. long as people aren't moving turrets around. You could probably fake that, but certainly when you start actually firing and where you need to start arbitrating decisions 
between different meshes. That's where there are so many edge cases that I don't think they'll try that. Yeah, that is that is... I mean, the complications that come from those ideas, I'm just thinking, you know, three ships flying next to each other, sure, not a problem, but once one of them shoots at the other, what the heck happens to the game? Uh, exactly, which is why it'll probably be the case that those three ships will all be together. Right, so if they were all on the same server together, would all of those people in each ship also put load on that single server? Yes. Ah, okay, okay. I see. That's... But again, it depends what they're doing. One of the nice things about so much of um, Star Citizen's combat being seated, depending on which seat you're in, it does rather limit what we need to tell anyone else about you. So, for example, no one else in the... Um, anywhere else, all they really need to care about is where is your turret pointing, for example, with a turret? Mm-hmm. And are you firing? And maybe some stats on your health. Not a lot else. So it's much, much less than you walking around, for example. Okay. Which has a whole bunch of other attributes, you know, because you could be drunk, you could be leaning, you could be crouching, and so on. So they just they just um, need to keep keep running those uh those what are they called? The force reactions. Keep making them worse and worse until nobody wants to ever get out of their seats anymore. Well, yeah, I I think we're already seeing that, certainly with 315. Yep, it's yep. like, you know, you look at the Liberator, there's no reason why it really needed 16 jump seats. It's yeah. got 16 jump speeds and a space for that. So I think, yeah, when you're on a ship, while it's in flight, you're supposed to be sitting down. Right. 99% of the time. Yeah, that was always kind of the thing that they told us as the game was developing. But I think people were wondering, how far are you really going to go? Like, if I flip the ship over in atmosphere, am I going to fall on the ceiling? And I don't think they're doing that because of the whole artificial gravity thing. No. But it's, it is interesting to see how, how detailed they're going to get with, you know, if I jerk the ship two Gs to the right, this person goes flying into the wall and that kind of stuff. Well, it also, it also helps with desync. Silly as it sounds, if you're not in a seat, you are effectively still responsible for telling everyone your position and your right. motions and everything else. So it's much harder for the back end to give everyone an authoritative thing. Makes if you sense. are seated, it's much, much easier. Yeah. Okay. And when you get to things like moving between meshes, I would pretty much guarantee you are going to have to be seated or bad things will happen because potentially the bit we haven't really mentioned and they touch about it on the, in the Q&A mm -hmm. is authority. Authority is a really big thing. Um, it's, yeah, it's that thing of who is responsible for saying where I am? Right. Who is responsible for updating my status? Who is responsible for updating my health? And in the case of those seats, those seats were a really important shortcut for them. Because if I'm sitting in a seat, I'm actually no longer responsible for my position. The ship I'm in is now responsible for my position. You could just be considered part of the ship at that point. Some, some exactly. Place, so yeah. you're not costing the network or the server anything at that point. Right. So, okay. yeah, there's all these little cheats that we use behind the scenes, and we normally try to wrap them up with gameplay reasons. Um, because ideally, um, I, I, people in the simulation world hate me when I say this, because, you know, a lot of games will say, we're simulating. Right, we're doing everything we never, real. We're not simulating. What we're doing is the bare minimum necessary the faker simulation. If anything, it's really, we are the best magicians in the world if we're doing our job right. <laughs> it is all smoke and mirrors. Um, and it's like in the thing they touch on in the Q&A, you know, everyone in Star Citizen all deciding to go to one location at the same time. Never, ever, ever, ever going to happen that you're all going to stand there and all see each other. Right. 
So, so then let me ask this, what is a realistic number in your mind? If you were thinking five years out in terms of, there's a crazy question, but you know, you don't have to be on the spot. I won't come back to you when they don't, they don't meet the number, <laughs> but you what is, won't, but every single viewer and listener will, <laughs> I can already see the hate mail here, but I'm used to it. Somebody's um, listening a, to this two years in the future. <laughs> but no, as, as a very bad, similar example, I was once on another, um, on another broadcast where um, I was talking about a very intensive network bit mm -hmm. and I was explaining that all the programmers are trying to deal with it. But as, a, as an aside, I said, so as a, in a way, I am responsible for lag. Out of context, that was cut out, put on Reddit. Oh no. Oh my God. Oh The hate boy. mail was unbelievable um but yes to bring us back to star citizen people always compare it against eve and their big yeah. battles mm -hmm. and the thing they always forget with eve is eve the only thing really involved is the ships the other aspect of eve is long ago they had to introduce this concept known as time dilation right yeah slow down the update rate because everything is in, the, in, in one space. I've heard about that. Now, unless Star Citizen suddenly decides to do time dilation, which I don't think they ever will, because that's not the sort of game they're trying to go for. Yeah. I would say 100, maybe 200. Part of the problem comes down, it's, it's not what you can do with server performance per se. And again, they alluded to it in the Q&A. Some things are, have to be metered by the performance of the slowest player. Right. Yeah. That's why so we never want this on takes... consoles. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you say that the one big benefit of consoles is consoles are a fixed known set of hardware yeah easy to optimize for and whilst whilst they're they could be considered to be substandard pcs someone the other night was talking about the laptop that they were playing star citizen on and i was shocked yeah i've seen it it's crazy and <laughs> and so that's that's the battle is they have to make the game playable across whatever they say the min spec is right the way up yeah. And when it comes to bandwidth, they have to look at there are tons of stats out there that give you you know the average bandwidth available for gaming in each country and still in countries like the US it's really really low. <laughs> Pathetically it's low. It's really really it's, low. Yeah. It's it's quite shocking. Um and that's part of the constraint. So whilst the game if just people in metropolitan areas were playing, could maybe go up to uh, two, three hundred. It depends how intense some of the combat gets. Mm -hmm. um, a perfect example of, of how some of this silliness happens. Another MMO, uh, Lord of the Rings Online. A bunch of the fans each year all get together on top of this, uh, on top of Weatherstock, the mm -hmm. big hill. Mm -hmm. And have a music festival um, called Weatherstock. Very funny. Ah. Um, and it's, 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 it's a really good, engaging social time. Yeah. And you can have four or 500 people all standing around there enjoying the show. As soon as one person starts fighting, <laughs> it takes the server down. Oh boy. Uh, there's there's always gotta be somebody that does that too. Well no, it's it's that sheer thing of the difference between stuff doing nothing, just idling, just moving around. Right. And the extra load that combat puts into things. If that's as soon as things go into combat, we have to do so many additional checks and balances. There so... are so many other things coming into play. So then I have a I, I'm curious as to maybe do you think they could figure out a way to use enough gameplay mechanics to say hey cities are 
not boundless, but you you definitely get more numbers to 300 people. Whereas out in in space where you're around ships, you might see less people because just because of the things that they do in cities to make sure that that kind of thing can happen. You think they'd do that? It depends. Um, while the while the cities are, are armistice zones, yes. Mm -hmm. For now. But given our friend Astropup is already planning to attack Lawville with an army oh, the moment course. the armistice zone goes away. Of course. I hope Paul better record the whole thing. Exactly. But, and therein lies the battle. Yes, we can. And that's why you'll find a lot of open world games with relatively large in terms of number of players, social spaces. Right. Because there's no combat. They're not doing anything that's really expensive. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you then get out into the open world and combat is a thing, uh, it's just, you have to try and keep that pace. You have to try and limit things so that the combat is always fun and responsive. Yeah. And whilst it might be fun to stick another hundred people in there, you have to weigh up whether it's worth the risk of it becoming much slower for everyone. And nine times out of 10, it's not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. I, I do believe that they should always make sure combat can happen in landing zones. I know that's a, it's a touchy topic. I am, I'm of the belief that we should have in-game consequences that are harsh enough that nobody ever does that. But I wonder how much they can balance that out to the point where they can guarantee, for instance, that in Terra, they'll never have combat popping up. So Terra can get up to 200 people, whereas in maybe Lorville, it's more likely. So I, I have always been a fan. I have to admit, I am someone who I have multiple accounts for this game. Of course. One side of me is very law-abiding. One side of me might sit outside of hangars waiting for people to go inside <laughs> up on the ship that they left the ramp down of and fly off with it. Might. Um, <laughs> might. You know, it's, it's that sort of thing. Um, so I love both sides. Right. But I think so far, no space game I've come across and actually very few PvP games have had a successfully impactful crime and punishment system at all. It's hard um, to do. Star Citizen goes some way, but the bit that they always seem to miss from the equation, and I say this as someone who would be on the bad side, mm -hmm. so don't get me wrong, um, you know, part of your choice when you go on that side is it's a challenge. Definitely, yeah. yeah. You are, you are, you are dancing around the laws. It's got to be the hardest way to play the game. Well, it should be, but I'm not sure it is. And part of the reason for that, and in particular the one area where it's not that impactful, is on your wallet. Um, if, for example, the insurance costs of um, someone who was taken out or that cargo was stolen or anything else, if the pirate is captured, not killed, but actually captured, captured, whatever, mm. mechanic eventually comes in for that, they should have to pay that back. Yeah, that's and reasonable. Both, both in Star Citizen and um, Elite Dangerous, for example, I think that would stop a lot of the pure griefing. You know, the killing for killing's sake rather yeah. than because you want to make some profit off it, you want to grab the cargo or anything else. Yeah, because maybe. at the moment, even 15 hours in Kleischer, that's just logging off and coming back the next day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nothing has changed then the next day. Whereas if you've lost a million AUE AUEC, that's you can a time remember sink. that. That's a money sink, yeah, yeah. yeah. Got to be a two-pronged attack. Yeah, yeah. Agreed, yeah. I'd like to get back to server meshing. I was actually going to ask you about bases because there's a lot of questions about um, building, base building. How's this going to work with server meshing? Everybody's asking. There's still, I think, plenty of questions floating around out there. But this is something that probably is. And I mean, we've seen it in 
in uh, Fallout games. We've seen it in No Man's Sky. We've seen it in a lot of these big games. What do you think is going to happen with server meshing and base building in Star Citizen? People are they talking about inactive bases. Does that seem like a elegant solution? I'm still unsure as to exactly how bases are going to work. Um, if they are going to be things where you can store ships, inventory, and other stuff, I can't see them persisting in an attackable form when you're offline. Even if it's on the shard that you were on while you were online? Even if it's on the shard that you were on. Okay. Now, what I could see to avoid issues like other games have with, you know, so-called combat logging, where people will deliberately disconnect Mm -hmm. so that they either don't get a, you know, crime stat or they don't um, die or lose anything. Yeah. I could see if there were people in the general area, specifically hostiles, um, or potentially hostiles, so, you know, any other player in this case. I could see keeping it around in-world, in the one that you were specifically on. Yeah. To avoid that exploit. But in general, unless, until we hear more, I would have to assume they are no different than bunkers. And if you think of bunkers right now, even if you drop a bomb on them, it doesn't destroy the bunker. Yeah. It may destroy some defensive installations on the surface. It may destroy anyone standing on the surface, but the actual base itself, perfectly fine. Right. Pretty it standard. Get destroyed. Yeah. So I could see the same thing with player bases. If you have external defenses, maybe they take a hit. But it's not like you're suddenly going to lose the base itself. Right. And you're talking everything about... Everything we've heard about land claims and everything else, mm-hmm. land claims are not things that people can steal. So I'm not sure what the benefit of destroying a base. It's not like you can destroy the base and take it over because you don't have that land claim. I see. Yeah. So... Again, all of this is up in the air because we don't know. Yeah. But yeah. from the meshing standpoint, it's relative it's for all intents and purposes, I would consider um a player base is gonna be no different than capital ship. Yeah, you know, the same issues are gonna come in with Banu Merchantmen. The same issues are gonna come in with privateers. How are they gonna exist in the game? Right. And what state are they gonna be in? Are they gonna be attackable? And I could imagine a system where if you are online or if the thing is in motion, so if the if the merchantman is moving from point to point, mm-hmm. sure, it's attackable. If it's parked in trading mode and you're not on it, maybe it'll just sit there. Um, it's the same. It's a similar deal to um, the fleet carriers of Elite Dangerous with the added thing that if the player is online, they'd be attackable, potentially. So it really is going to come down to how long can these things persist if their owning characters aren't aren't there to partner with yes. them? Yes, that's going to be very much down to them and their choices to how that pans out. Um, is that a server meshing problem or is that just a load in the game kind of problem? Both. Okay. Both, because if you do allow them to persist and there is no friction, and I would argue certainly with the Banner Merchantman, there's not really any friction. You know, the price is not so prohibitively high that you couldn't imagine a world where every other player would have one. Um, Not saying they should or why they'd want them, but, um, you know, again, part of the problem with the guys that are doing the back end is a lot of their time. We can't rely on players being sensible. You have (laughs) to think of worst case. Yeah. And you have to protect against the worst case. 
So yeah, just as everyone decided to go to exactly the same point in the universe at exactly the same time, the same thing comes in with what would happen one day if everyone bought a Banu Merchantman and all decided to park them next to each other on a planet. Yeah. That's a bummer. Cause, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we want to we wanna get as close as we can to what the real-life scenario would be, but the matter is that nobody in real life would actually do those things. So you never... It's not even... Even if it was well, a problem. Part of, this, part of this comes back down to the crime and punishment again. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're going to attack a base and say the insurance cost of a base is, uh, let's choose something crazy, 50 million. <laughs> that may think make you think twice right. rather than pointing a rail gun at a Hurston turret and going, Yoo-hoo! you know, it's, it's very much going to, there's going to have to be some friction or stuff will not be persistent in the world. Yeah. And I'm intrigued to see where CIG do that balancing act. I think, yeah, everybody's kind of on the edge of their seat to see because we've been waiting for server meshing to come around for so long. Mm -hmm. We've heard so much about it. Now it's finally here. And, you know, some of the limitations and the realism is kind of starting to come out. And there are some, there, I think, things that the fans of the game are, are realizing like, hey, we, we really want to know how this is going to work now, now that it's here. And you've got to remember, I'm not part of CIG. I don't of have course. any contact with any people at CIG. So this is me just theorizing based on tech I'm used to. Yeah. And this some is... of the things they've stated. But I think also you are not likely to hear anything more from CIG until they've actually got the tech in and have had chances to experiment. Because I know from my own side, as a programmer, you can sit there and say, this is what the limit's going to be. And there will be stakeholders who go, no, I don't believe that. And until you actually prove to them what happens when those limits get exceeded. Yeah. Some of the stuff is actually proving to both sides that there is an issue right and then seeing how both sides decide to solve it that's that's a hard one too with the game and development and everything i imagine it's hard for them to come out and be like well this is what happens if we go too far we don't want to spend the time on it but it's the battle and why you know people always joke about the likes of peter molyneux um, (laughs) and other people who will say one thing any time that I ever hear about any game, those things that they say this game is going to be is their vision. Mm-hmm. Every game is an iterative process. And whilst you try to stay as close to that vision as you can, sometimes reality means you can't get that. Yeah. Sometimes that's, that's you know, reality brought on by deadlines. Yeah. And I just I I think that would be so much better understand it if if it felt more like those realities and and the things that the developers know and expect um, are also in line with the way that these companies market their games. Because sometimes, you know, while while the the public should definitely learn to expect their uh, temper their expectations, the way that the games get you excited for the vision, but never really temper that can can get frustrating it is but it's tricky you know the marketing people work well ahead of when the thing is out of course and they get given a sheet of paper with the vision on it Mm -hmm. and it's their job to sell the vision um and unless people are very actively going back to those same people and saying Gonna have to chop that out. Um, one, yeah, I'm asking people aren't gonna know, but also it's very, very hard, not just in gaming, but in anything, mm-hmm. for someone whose job it is to sell an ideal to you, to then try and sell you on half the ideal. Yeah. It's yeah, not definitely. something marketeers get taught how to do. You know, that's why a lot of the time. It falls on what I consider the hardest job in the gaming industry, the community teams, 
to try and pick up oh, the poor community the teams. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. The community managers, my heart goes out to you guys. Yeah. They are very special people yeah. and, um, yeah, I couldn't do it <laughs> ever. No, the connection between the company and the, the fans is that's tough. That's really hard. Uh, but listen, I wanted to go back before we close up here, finish wrapping things up. I wanted to go back to the server meshing talk one more time and ask you what you expect to see the game do after we see server meshing next year. Again, another hard question, but I think a lot of people have had server meshing getting into the game as a sort of not an end goal, but like the the hill the top of the hill right and then we've maybe we flatten out for a bit or we start on the next hill but what do you think that next hill is going to be you're not going to like my answer <laughs> neither will anyone else give it to us if the static meshes come in and work as planned you will see absolutely nothing different right i think i yeah i was kind of expecting that the way they talked about it with q1 q2 <laughs> yeah yeah, I mean, if it's if it's doing everything it can, and this is the whole thing with the dynamic meshing. Again, if the dynamic meshing is working, you will never know it's there. Hmm. Um, because all of the smoke and mirrors and the fakery and the careful choreography will be transparent to you. It's purely more... And this is where I think they're quite brave in making all this inf information available to the community. Because so much of this stuff goes in on a lot of games. But it's black box info. It's part of the whole it's part of the trick. process of uh, the parlor trick and also you know, load balancing. You know, just as web servers need load balancing, online games need load balancing. And this is very much one of those tricks that we use to pull it off. So if it's working, you should never see. Now, what it does mean, though, is potentially it'll give us a little bit more room. Right now, all those servers are having to work super hard to do everything. You know, the yeah. only thing really at the moment that's shared is LTP, you know, long-term account persistence right. stuff. Um, so right now they have to do absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. And so what you might see you might start seeing more responsive AI. You might start seeing things spawning in when they're supposed to, <laughs> rather than when they're not. Like the whole city. You might be able to see increased uh, item limits on certain things, like number of things you can have in the world at once. Mm -hmm. We've seen with 315. Again, unfortunately, has to be constrained because you know some guy is going to push the worst case. Yep, going to break it. Yes, that that's exactly it. So, yeah, it's other than things that already exist performing better. Mm -hmm. Probably nothing other than opening the way potentially to pyro. So, links but essentially, it does sound like it's kind of going to open open up the chance for the game to breathe a little bit and actually play as it's supposed to. And it'll give people like Tony or Headroom to do some more fancy things in the simulation. Right. Uh, because I would guess from the way and with the enthusiasm he talks about Quanta and all the things he wants to do with it. At the moment, he's come kind of hampered. Because, you know, the servers are working. They can't test in game, right? Yeah. And they are working so hard just to do the current stuff mm -hmm. because they're going to do everything. Once some of that load is taken off, firstly by the replication layer, which takes some of that server load away, but then with the mesh nodes themselves, life hopefully should be a little bit easier. That would be great. It'd be nice to see the other parts of the company get to shine a little bit. And I know I think that's that's probably something that's true with the the art and, game and the uh, planet teams as well. They clearly mm -hmm. can keep pumping stuff out, but they're kind of held back by some of these other problems. So I'm, I'm yeah, very... I mean, even trivial things like um, Inside Star Citizen, where the art team was showing off what they were doing with uh, 
some of the space stations on Pirate. Right. This is going to sound completely trivial to people, but there was one segment where someone shoots a pipe and the pipe breaks and dangles down in two places. That person shooting the pipe, the pipe breaking and dangling down in multiple places, mm-hmm. is something that has to be done on the server. Otherwise, one client sees the pipe broken, one client doesn't. Right. Which leads into whole problems with collisions and everything else. So all those little things that make the world feel more lived in mm-hmm. all add up really quickly. So at the moment, there's probably not a lot of headroom for those. Um, you know, all those coffee makers that you wish not only in the Lawville has <laughs> worked, but everywhere worked and came with a cup and that you could pick the cup up. Mm. Chris's those coffee are all cup. Things, those are all things that you can bet that CIG would wish were there and have the tech to make them there right now. What they don't have is the headroom either for the number of entities around or for the cost of incorporating that into the simulation state and everything else right now. Yeah, yeah. So, so that actually, that reminded me, I, I do have one more question. Um, they've talked about doing residence buildings in the landing zones. So we have one already in each one where there's buildings and they want to physicalize and give everybody specific apartments. And they were talking, I remember, I think it was 2016 or no, 2017, 2018, back when, you know, statements would get thrown out. And I don't know if they're true, but um, they were talking about... Endeavor owner, so I know exactly what you mean. (laughs) They were talking about building more and more apartment buildings at each landing zone as more people wanted to get apartments, giving everybody a unique um, place. Is this something you see server meshing actually allowing to happen at landing zones? Uh, In some regard, yes. Um, If you consider that could probably be one of the most trivial cases of a dynamic mesh. Um, if the only person that has access to your room is you mm-hmm. and maybe a little list of people that you specifically add, maybe some of your org members, mm-hmm. maybe you know a whole org. Um, and yeah, this is common in a bunch of games that implement player housing. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah the I house know. is there and it's an instance. We don't have to have one of every single person's in the actual main world. Each one of those is a fair separate instance. So the tricky thing is faking that entrance into the room. So if they are going to do that, what I could foresee, um, and this is, this is part of me being pessimistic, um, I could expect every hab to come with a relative, relatively sterile entrance hall. Maybe okay, like for you. an L-shaped entrance hall before you actually get into the habitable space. Hmm. And while you're going through that entrance space, that's when you transition from one mesh to the other mesh. So, However they need to do it. I yeah. just, I would yeah. like to have it. Yeah, that, I think that is a very cool idea. And, you know, I part of asking that was I wanted to see are other MMOs doing that because I haven't played very many MMOs. So. I, I can see it being actually a solved problem, largely. Okay. Because I think long term, they want you very much to be able to treat every single one of your ships as a hap. Yeah. You know, they want to be able to le- let you leave pyros out, er, uh, picos out everywhere. <laughs> um, so effectively, however, they have to deal with that and however they manage to dynamically mesh or not dynamically mesh those will probably lead the way into whatever they can do with HABs. Okay. HABs are a slightly easier version, but if they're going to allow it on ships, the HAB tech will pretty much be there. I imagine if if there's anywhere that this dynamic server meshing stuff will be easier, it would be landing zones or places like that where there's a lot of permanent structures, right? Uh, as long as they... Well, hmm. The fun here, and they get around it beautifully with the new medical centers. When you go to a medical center, you check in and you get allocated a room, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. If a hab is a permanent room, 
they still have to deal with some of the fun of how do they load in the right instance well they either need enough actual buildings for every single person that's a backer <laughs> right which or, won't happen which won't happen um or they need to be ideally in the same way that they've talked about hangers kind of able and you see this actually happen i think there's some japanese hotels that already do this you have one entrance way and effectively behind that there's a rotating pod mechanism um because otherwise room three always being your room three without any weird edge cases of walking into someone else coming out of your room and there's a whole bunch of silly little niggly edge cases that yeah. would kind of ruin the illusion. Right. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I, um, it's, it's good to hear, though, because I think most people were thinking, oh, they'd probably instance them or something. But there was that, that, that glimmer of, like, are they actually going to do something different? But it makes sense. Just well, it depends. If, if it would be easy to cope with if, for example, you rented them. If there was some friction. So if after your rental period expired, room three packaged back up into an archive system. somewhere, mm -hmm. then they would have some friction to make sure that it's actually only active players. So they only actually have to have enough rooms for active players. I, I could, and then I it's could. not so bad. Yeah. And especially with the size of some of the buildings, like the new green circle in Orison, I think, if anything, they're probably aiming more to that direction, purely because of the scale. If you were going to instance it, you wouldn't need that scale. Yeah. It's also, it's like you said, how, yes, they have to prepare for everybody in the game to go to one place, but with how many systems they're building out, how many active players will be calling Loris in their No, 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 you no. Now, you, now you're talking like a game design. <laughs> All right. Unfortunately... That's not guy, the reality say, of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. One day, they're all going to decide to have a party and all go yep. and try and get into that one hab at once. There's How no do we handle it? No getting away from it. Mm -hmm. Well, that's fair. And that, I think that's probably one of the best messages that we could send with this, with this show and this whole talk. It's just that no matter what you see happening in Star Citizen, what you can imagine happening... You also have to remember that, A, they need to plan for the worst possible situation, the most people doing it, and B, um, it needs to be possible to run on the worst computers. So yeah. the, the main thing I'm getting from server meshing is that it is a step to help the game run correctly and allow the, the devs to do the tricks that they need to to make the game work. Yeah, it gives them more headroom, more chance to balance things, more chance to spread the load around than the way it currently is. Right. Well, I think I think this is a really good overview of it. Obviously, there's a lot of questions that we still have. There's a lot of things around base building in particular, how they're going to create this friction that you're talking about and, and these different transitions. But this was, for me, super insightful. I got a lot of good info here, a lot of background from the rest of the industry that I don't think Star Citizen fans get to hear a lot about. So thank you so much for that. Um, I don't know if you, you said you used to, you, you tried a, a stream or two. I don't know if you have any presence online that you wanted to <laughs> give people. Um, I am lucky. Well, unlucky if uh, <laughs> Frontier ever decide to uh, try and enforce things, I guess. But um, Witch Space was amazingly not taken pretty much everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I am Witch Space everywhere. Wow. With the exception of Twitter, where I'm Witchspace TV. Okay. That's still, that's, yeah. When did you get the name? Two and a half years ago, probably. Wow. I'm surprised it wasn't taken. I was astounded too. That's cool. Well, Witchspace, yeah. everywhere you can find them. I'd like to thank you again so much for coming on here. Uh, member of the community who comes in and plays with us on the org and in the garden. We have a ton of fun. So thanks again for coming on, dude. I appreciate it. For everybody thanks, else, keep up the good work. Uh, of course, of course. For everybody else who's watching, you might actually, or listening, you might either be watching this on YouTube or listening on your favorite uh, 
audio uh, platform, but you can get it anywhere you want. Apple, Spotify, Pocket Casts, no ads on those platforms, but you can help support this show directly on Anchor, or you can join the Patreon where you can get little exclusive perks. We're going to allow people to start uh, requesting guests for the podcast. We have supporters who are actually listening to this live that you can join. So different perks, and it's a great way to help support not only the show, but me and my family and keep the podcast ad free. So thank you all for watching. Thank you for being around. Uh, I hope you've been enjoying the content lately. 315 is coming out and it's been great. 316 is right around the corner and 2022 is looking like a good year for Star Citizen. I've got Mm -hmm. some guests lined up to talk about that with you guys in December. So make sure to subscribe, stay tuned, maybe leave a review and we'll see you guys next week for episode 26. Bye for now.